Well, what a joyful thing it is to be able to be in the house of the Lord, and we're thankful for the presence of each one of you today. We'd like to invite you to be a part of our Bible study. Uh, there's an outline of our study in your program, and if you have a Bible with you and want to follow with me, we're going to be today in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I've called our lesson today, Paul's Pep Talk to the Philippians. You know, the church sometimes needs a pep talk, even as athletic teams do. And so Paul wrote this letter with the idea of it pumping up and getting the children of God who were in Philippi excited as they serve the Lord. I guess the most famous thing that Martin Luther King ever wrote was a letter he wrote on April 16, 1963, from a jail in Birmingham. And the letter is simply known as the letter from a Birmingham jail. And the purpose was to excite those people who were the followers of Dr. King and to encourage them to continue on as they were uh, making efforts to uh, help us in problems of segregation. You know, it's easy to get worn out, to get discouraged and to get tired. And so sometimes you need somebody to kind of pump you up a little bit. And I really believe that Paul was a great motivator. And if you'd been around him very much, you would have been excited because he had that ability to kind of get people fired up as they were serving the Lord. And I guess all of us sometimes need something or someone to kind of excite us a little bit and motivate us. Uh, I like the story of the fellow who was out walking in the country one day, and he decided to walk across a pasture, and he didn't know that Farmer Brown had turned his meanest bull loose in that pasture. I mean, he started walking, and lo and behold, he looked up, and here came that big bull just charging after him. You know, he thought, man, I'm going to have to run, and he took off, and he realized, I'll never be able to make it to the, to the fence but he remembered that there was a tree there in the middle of the field, and he thought, I'll just head for that tree, jump up and grab a branch, pull up, and I'll be able to get rid of that bull. Boy, and he headed for that tree as fast as he could with the bull right behind him, and he didn't know that Farmer Brown had gotten a new chainsaw. And he'd cut all the branches off ten feet up. And he saw that, and he thought, man, I'll never make it. And he circled the tree once. Then he said, I've got to give it all I have. And he jumped as high as he could to try to grab a branch, but he missed it. But he caught it coming down. Uh, you and I sometimes need something to kind of boost us up a little bit and get us motivated. And that's what Paul is doing as he wrote the book of Philippians, and especially here in chapter 3. Now, if you've got your Bible, follow with me, if you will. First of all, chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul says, I've got a message that I've given you, and I'm going to repeat what I've already told you. So here he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul said, listen, I've, I've told you this before, but I want to tell you again, rejoice in the Lord. Now, he didn't say rejoice because of what you have or who you are, but you rejoice because you are in the Lord. You know, there are some things that uh, Paul just never got tired of telling the people. And I like the way that verse read in the New Living Translation when he said, I never get tired of telling you these things. And there are some people 
that you just do not get tired of hearing them talk. Yesterday uh, at our men's breakfast, we had Ova Johansson to uh, speak for us. And uh, I've heard the speech that uh, Ova gave 20 times at least. But you know, it still encouraged me and fired me up because he just had that ability. And Paul says, I want to tell you, I want you to be excited and rejoicing in the Lord. You see, there's not anything more important than your attitude. And Paul wants them to keep busy and to be positive and to be upbeat and to be people who are excited about serving the Lord. Now, Paul is in jail when he writes, even as Dr. King was in jail when he wrote the letter from the Birmingham jail. But as he wrote, he wanted the people to continue on. And even though he was in jail, he didn't want that to discourage them. He didn't want them to think, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to do much because here's our leader in jail. And so Paul has that positive spirit, and he tries to infuse that into the people by encouraging them to rejoice and rejoice and rejoice in the Lord. Well, number two, the second thing, but he said, I want you to be aware of troublemakers. I don't know why it is, but any time a church is doing good, the devil's going to do all he can to upset it and to stir up people and get people uh, unhappy with each other. And so beginning in verse 2, Paul wrote these words. Watch out for those dogs, those who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Well, who were these people that he wanted to warn them about? Evidently, they were Jews. Maybe they had been baptized, but they were holding on to the Old Testament, and they would not give up people living by the New Testament, but rather by the Old Testament. And he warns here about three groups of people. First of all, he, wor- wor- he worries about a group that I would call the curs. That is, he said, beware of those dogs. Now, that may sound like a uh, kind of a bad warning because we like dogs. Maybe you have a dog or two and you love them. They're kind of part of the family. But in New Testament times, dogs were not thought of as we think about dogs. They were thought about these wild packs of dogs. And they would gather around the garbage dump. And they would snarl and bite people. And so, when you wanted to talk about a group of people who were a low-life group of people, you would call them dogs. And that was the way Paul here was referring to this group of people who were dogs. One time a a person told me, he said, you know, you cannot sell a dog because that's against what the Scriptures say. I said, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. man said, yes it is, Deuteronomy 23.18. And if you read that verse, it says this, You shall not bring the price of a dog into the house of the Lord. Now, that's the way it reads in the King James Version and in the New King James Version. And in the uh, NIV Version, it says, You shall not bring the price of a male prostitute 
And then it has a footnote there that says, in the Hebrew, that's a dog. Somebody who was a male prostitute was called a dog. And he said, you shall not bring the price or what a man makes as being a prostitute, male prostitute, and give that in the house of the Lord. That's not right. And these men who were male prostitutes, they were called dogs. Now, over in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 15, the writer says that there are those who are going to be on the outside of heaven, and they're not going to be in, allowed to be in. And those who are not going to be allowed to come in, they are called dogs. And then the Lord lists, they are those who practice magical arts, they practice sexual immorality, they are murderers, they are idolaters, and they are liars. And the Bible calls them dogs. So here Paul says, I want you to beware of those who are dogs. They were people who were the low life, and they were trying to infiltrate the church and involve the people of the church. And he said, I want you to be aware of those who are the dogs. I call them the curs. Now, not only beware of those, but he said, I also want you to be aware of those who are criminals. He says, those who do evil. Now, these were people who were Jews, and they were trying to get the children of God to go back to the Old Testament. And as a result, they were stirring up trouble in the church. And as they were stirring up trouble in the church, Paul says they do evil. They are criminals. They are doing opposite of what God wants done. And thirdly, he said there are those who I call the cutters. They are a people, he said, who are doing something who like mutilating the flesh. Now, circumcision was the thing that they had been emphasizing. You see, circumcision was something that went all the way back to the Old Testament. And we find that uh, God first gave the word to uh, Abraham that he was to have the children of God circumcised on the eighth day. And that then became the practice of the early church, and that is, uh, of the early children of God, they practiced circumcision. But when one became a New Testament Christian, then no longer was circumcision a part of what person did to serve God. But there were some people that just could not give up circumcision. So in Acts 15, verse 1, there's a group, the Bible says, that came and they taught this. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's Acts 15, verse 1. They said, man, you've got to be circumcised or you can't even be saved. When Paul wrote the book of Galatians, chapter 6, 15, he says, I want to tell you, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But these people who insisted upon the circumcision, Paul called them the mutilators of the flesh. They are just cutting the flesh, but they're not doing what God wants done. What a sad thing that there were troublemakers here in the church, and they were causing people to go astray and causing trouble within the church. So, as Paul talks about these people, he then picks up here in chapter 3 at verse 4 with these words. 
He says, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He said, I want to tell you, these people claim their Jewish heritage, but I want to tell you, you look at my resume, and I've got a resume that is equal or better than any of them, so don't listen to them. Here's what he says about himself. I am circumcised, was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul said, I want to tell you, these are seven things that you can just chalk up that are true about me. And you know that I was the ideal Jewish, Jewish man. And I did what every man who was a Jew really wanted to do and to be. He began, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, back in Genesis 17, verse 12, when God first introduced circumcision to Abraham, He said, you have your children circumcised on the eighth day. Then over in the book of Leviticus 12, verse 3, when Moses gave the law, He said, I want your children circumcised on the eighth day. And when you read the story about Jesus, Luke chapter 2, verse 21, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. So, as Paul says, listen, you look at me, I tell you, I know what that's all about. I was circumcised on the eighth day. And then he said, I am of the race of Israel. Now, there were people who were proselytes, people who were converts, and became a part of the Jewish family. But that was not their lineage. That was not their race. But Paul said, listen, I am of the race of Israel. And thirdly, he said, I am of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, you may remember that uh, Benjamin was the smallest of the tribes, but they were very elite. And the first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. That was Saul. And the people from Benjamin were thought of as being special and very good. They were people that, uh, as they were looked upon, they were thought of the people of Benjamin as special because Benjamin was the only son of the twelve sons of Israel who was born in the Promised Land. Genesis chapter 35, verse 17 and 18. So here Paul said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And then he said, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now what that meant was that both my mother and my dad were both Hebrews. And so I am as Hebrew or Jewish as you can get. My mom and dad were both Jews. And then he says, as concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Now, the word Pharisee means the separated ones. Now, sometimes as we think about the separates, the Pharisees, we think of people that Jesus condemned, and He did, because they were ones that tried to keep the law of God perfectly. And so sometimes when there wasn't an explanation of the law, they gave their own explanation of the law. But they were thought of as being the most righteous of all the Jewish people. And then he says, 
as far as zeal, I persecuted the church. Acts 8.3, we find that Paul put both men and women in prison. Now, the Jews thought it was a great thing to persecute the church. It would be like a man uh, today who said, You know, I joined the Muslims so I could kill Jews. Ah, that would be uh, somebody that the Muslims would think, well, That's really good if you want to kill Jews. That's what we want to do too. And Paul said, I was one who was persecuting the church. And then the last thing he said is, as far as obeying the law, I obeyed the law without fault. You could not find a person who was more Jewish than me. I did all these things that a Jew did. But then Paul adds these words in verses 7 and 8, and reading out of the New Living Translation. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. He said, I want to tell you, whatever else it is I've done, whatever it is I have accomplished, I've been able to do, compared to knowing Jesus, nothing. There is nothing compared to that. You know, I've been blessed and got to go to school a lot. I uh, was able to go to Abilene Christian and get a degree in Bible from Abilene Christian. And uh, then I was able to go to the University of Tulsa and get a, a master's degree in religious education. And then I went to Fuller Seminary uh, to get a doctorate degree. I got about two-thirds through and uh, was not able to finish. It just got too expensive. We had two kids in college. But you know, I look over all the educators I've known, all the people who have taught me how wonderful they are. But I want to tell you, Compared to knowing Jesus Christ, they are worthless. There's not anything in the world that is more valuable than knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I don't care who it is, what you know, where you've been, the people you're friends with, not anything, Paul says, is greater than knowing Jesus Christ. Then down in verses 12 through 15, Paul picks up, he says, I want to tell you about my motivation. And he begins, and as he does so, these are the words he shares with us. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself, yes, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do... Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the prize to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, first of all, I want to tell you something. I realize I'm not perfect. I realize that I'm not one that just got everything under control and knows and does everything right. I, I realize, he said, I am not perfect. But Paul then turns to an athletic type of illustration. And I don't know why it is, but evidently Paul was a great sportsman. And as he writes, he uh, one time writes about wrestling. Another time he wrote about boxing. Another time that he wrote about running and winning the race and winning the prize and, and winning the crown. 
I think if Paul had lived in Amarillo, that he probably would have written about the Cowboys and probably the Texas Rangers. I mean, he was one that liked sports. And so here he talks about a race. And he said there's three things. Number one, he said, this one thing I do. He said, I want to tell you, he said, I've got my eyes on the prize and what I'm trying to accomplish. This one thing, he said, I am focused on. Uh, when I was going to school, I was trying to get a master's degree, and I want to tell you, I got bogged down. And, uh, you know, I just thought, you know, I've got so many things that I just cannot get all that stuff done I'm supposed to do. But I was a quail hunter, and I'd been looking at shotguns, and I had picked out a new shotgun that I wanted. It was a uh, one that was just an ideal quail gun, and I thought, boy, if I could get that new gun, I would just really be able to do a lot of good hunting. But, you know, I need to finish this degree that I'm working on. And so I cut out a picture of that gun that I wanted, and I painted it, pictured it right over my desk. So every time I would go to my desk, look out, and I would see that gun, and I realized what I needed to do, and that is I needed to finish my degree. And I tell you, it worked. I mean, I finished it, and I bought that gun. I mean, you know, you got to have something that, that motivates you toward what you want to be and what you want to do. And so Paul said, this one thing I do. And then he said, I'm doing this. He said, I am forgetting the things that are behind. That is, he said, I have unloaded all those things that have might have kept me from being able to be successful. I've, I'm not looking back. You know, you can't go forward if you're looking back. You can't drive a car if you're looking in your rearview mirror. You've got to be looking ahead where you want to go. And that means there are some things you've got to just forget. Just wipe them out. Robert E. Lee visited a, a lady that had a huge mansion after the Civil War. And she uh, said, I want you to see, she said, in my front yard was this beautiful, gigantic tree that I loved. But she said those northerners, when they fired their artillery, said they broke the branches and, and put damage into the trunk of my beautiful tree. And she was wanting to get a little sympathy from General Lee, and he said to her, Lady, I want to tell you something. Look at that and forget it and move on. Sometimes that's what you got to do. You got to just forget things and move on. And Paul had done a lot of bad things to the Christians and the people who were in the church, and he knew that, but he said, Listen, I've got to move on. I'm forgetting those things behind me, I'm moving forward. And then he said this. I am straining toward what is ahead. He said, with every ounce of energy I have, I'm trying to serve the Lord. And I'm trying with all that I have to do what God wants me to do so I can go to heaven. Did you know Paul had been there? Check your Bible, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And Paul tells about an experience in heaven. And he began with these words. He said, I know a man who. And let me tell you, that was a literary device back in Paul's day. Whereas you didn't want to just come out as, I want to tell you what I've done. And so you would say, I know a man who. 
But that was exactly what he had done. And Paul said, I made it up to the third heaven. And when I was up there, I saw things. He said, I am not permitted to tell. I, I can't tell you about it. But Paul never forgot about it. And he said, man, that is where I am aiming. I am putting all I have so that I can go to heaven and so that I can be with my Lord. Not anything greater than being with Jesus, and that's where I'm headed. And you know, that's where he wanted these people to head to. It was in the year 1519 that uh, Cortez landed in Veracruz. He had a small army of 700 men. He was going to go through Mexico. And lo and behold, they had arrived from Spain on 11 ships, and the soldiers were flabbergasted when they look out in the bay, and they saw that all 11 ships had been set on fire. Cortez had ordered them to all be burned, because he said to his men, there's only one way we're going, and that is, we're going forward. We're going into Mexico. No looking back. And that's Paul. He said, that's the way I am. I am straining toward what is ahead where God has called me heavenward. And then he concludes chapter 3 with these words in 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Now, the people in Philippi were citizens of Rome. Rome had established that as a special Roman colony. And that was something that was a great honor and a great privilege. But as Paul said, listen, we are people who our citizenship as a Christian is that our citizenship is in heaven. Ah, what a wonderful thing. He said to know that that's where we are. He said, and we are waiting for a Savior from there. You know where Jesus Christ is now? He's at the right hand of God in heaven. But we are waiting for His return. And when He comes, Paul said, He's going to change our mortal bodies into glorious bodies like He has. You know, I guess everybody, and as you get older, your body wears out and you get pain. I mean, I, I bet everybody here has some kind of pain in their body. I mean, it may be that you've had to get a hearing aid because your hearing wasn't as good. You may have had to get some false teeth because your teeth weren't too good. Maybe you've had to have a knee replacement or a hip replacement because your knees and your hips were out. Maybe you've got some arthritis in your fingers and, and you're not able to move like you once did. Maybe you've got problems on other parts of your body. Maybe you've got back problems, maybe neck problems. And that's just God's way of saying to you, rejoice, you're wearing out. But God's got something better for you. And when Jesus returns, He's going to change this old mortal body into a glorious body like the Lord Jesus Christ has. So rejoice because you are one of God's children and you're going to get a new body. And what a wonderful blessing it is to know that we are going to be able to have 
a new body that God's going to give us when the Lord comes. So don't worry if you've got a body that's wearing out. You're going to get a brand new one. And it's not going to wear out. It's going to be immortal like the body of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, you know what's going to happen? Turn back one chapter to chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, and Paul says this is what's going to happen. He said, when Jesus Christ comes, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Those people believed that there was some kind of life under the earth where wicked people were. He said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You people in Philippi, you've got some bad people among you. Overcome them. Set your goal toward where you're headed in heaven. And with ceaseless ambition, go toward that. And I want you to live your life rejoicing in the Lord. Happy and thankful as you're one of God's children. And with all you have, go for it. So that you're going to be able to be with our Lord forever in heaven. You see, when heaven comes, there'll be no more questions. When heaven comes, there's going to be no more difficulty. There'll be no more problems. There'll be just the joy of being able to be with Jesus Christ and brothers and sisters who love the Lord forever and ever in the brand new bodies we're going to have. Praise God.